This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. And now we have a treat for sports fans everywhere. It's really important that professional athletes learn what uh, to say and how to deliver their message. You've got a great first half. Make sure you keep the ball doing the work. We're still looking to get it in the wide areas. First of all, it's the correct stadium design, but also the correct pitch construction. And that clash, that rivalry comes together with that traditional white block against that more modern, contemporary neon color. All these events live on the program. We'll continue to do our best to cover sport in the way that you like, backed up by our highly professional team. Grandstand starts now on BFM 89.9. It is the off season, and it is me, Ross, on a Friday night. Hello. <laughs> you can't get rid of me, can you? Um, no, back on a brand new program, as you heard. Grandstand. It's where we look at sports from a different angle. And you know, I thought we'd get a bit serious on the first show of the brand new season. We will focus on this show about sports marketing. Now, sports marketing, I'm reading from Wikipedia here, is a subdivision of marketing which focuses both on the promotion of sports events and teams, as well as the promotions of other products and services through sporting events and sporting teams. Does it all make sense? Are you as confused as I am? <laughs> Let me introduce my guest then. Uh, we've got with us Reeve, Revo Asia? Revolution Asia's... Nearly. Very close, Ross. Um, Revo Sport Asia. Reeve, um, the CEO of Revo Sport Asia, uh, Glenn Stidolf, is here to enlighten us about sports marketing. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Hello there, Ross. It's great to be back here again since our last shenanigans on BFM I, I, I a few know. years ago. I know. Let me explain to the listeners. Some of you older listeners might remember Glenn from uh, from uh, yeah the the old uh, football shows. He, how's Newcastle doing? How are they doing? <laughs> uh, as a club, we're a complete and total disaster. So nothing nothing's <laughs> nothing changed strange. in the last ten years. But 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 it's been a good season. You happy with the season you had? No, not really. I mean, you can't be happy yet. Whether you finish 10th, 17th, uh, you don't really care. You have an owner, or we have an owner, that doesn't want to do anything with the club <laughs> apart from make money. I mean, I just saw a study the other day. Uh, a great thing is about being in sports marketing. People send you market research and all this kind of stuff. Uh -huh. And out of the net spend in transfers over the last three seasons, that's six transfer windows, we have a net spend of three million pounds. Wow. And who was that on? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, th that's that's yeah. I guess that's the that's come some kind of sports marketing, isn't it? Uh, well, I think it is. I mean, the person who's using sports marketing very well is Mike. Ashley. It's Mike Ashley. He's doing it very well. His net worth has quadrupled since he became uh, the owner of Newcastle United and destroyed my club. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, before we, we we get into it, I, I want to find out. I mean. It, if you had all the money in the world, that's what you do, right? You'd, you'd go and buy your beloved Newcastle and yeah, save them. I, I actually tried to do it last year. Really? And I actually have a team of key expert sports marketeers from around the world, and these are from fantastic walks of sports life who desperately want to get hold of Newcastle United. So what, what, what did it might play hardball? No, it was a question of trying to find the money. The, the club, don't care what anybody says, the club is not for sale. He doesn't want to sell it. Really? Yeah. It, so it, all this talk of uh, looking for... Or buy. sports marketing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's a perfect example of of sports marketing. Now, um, in Malaysia, can you give us an example of of how sports marketing has worked to good effect? Ah. Uh... Actually, that's a very, very difficult question. Okay, or a bad one. No, I can give you, lot, I can give you lots of bad ones. <laughs> I can give you yeah. tons of bad ones. Okay, well, well, give us a good example of something. Also, it's very difficult to see what's a good example. So I can give you a really good example, and because it's a project that Revo Sport Asia did uh-huh. with Astro. Okay, and, and that was something we did a couple of years ago with Carlsberg. Uh-huh. Now, am I allowed to say Carlsberg? You, 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 you oh, just did. Um. Okay, well, <laughs> I should ask him for another retainer then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, um, you, you, uh, your company Astro and 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 a brewery in Malaysia. Yeah, what we, did you do? We wanted to do. We we obviously know that uh, the the thing about sports marketing is people actually think with their heart. Now, with regards to any other form of marketing, it's all about making conscious decisions. The great thing about sports is, especially football, it's something which people don't really use their head about. Mm. So actually, it's a very emotive subject. And as a brand, as a company, anybody can copy your products. Right. Anybody can copy your price and pricing model. Right. But the one thing they can't copy is an emotional attachment that a consumer will have with your brand. Mm. And the easiest way to tap into that is through something which is highly emotive, like sports. Absolutely. That's, there you go. You've just had. Forget your Wikipedia. You forget. heard it from. You heard it from me first. That, that's that's <laughs> way better. Okay. Can we can we get your explanation on Wikipedia? No um, thanks. <laughs> uh, okay. So so what what did you do with Astro? We, we did it. We did a program. Uh, you have to understand. It's uh, what does a brand want with an association to football, and why, why do all these companies spend a lot of money on football mm-hmm. and other sports? And it's all about tapping into the fans and getting the fans to think with their not to think with their heads, but just use their hearts and their emotional attachment to their favourite club or player. So we brought a number of very, very high-value players into Malaysia mm-hmm. for two days. We put them into a hotel and a resort, and we had 350 winners of various different competitions and brand activations to spend the weekend with those players. Really cool, a really cool experience. Can you players. say who they were? Uh, John Franco, Zola, Sol Campbell, Steve McManaman, and Dennis Wise. Never heard of them. No, no. <laughs> I saw them on the back of a Carlsberg pack. That's how I know them. <laughs> okay, so so um, yeah, it, it went it went well. We actually had the global head of marketing for this particular brewery, mm-hmm. and uh, she said it's probably one of the best programs they've seen. Activated on quite a low budget. Because you can imagine spending money in the Premier how, League. How is that possible if you're getting international superstar ex-footballers on a low budget? It's, it's, it's comparative. Uh, <laughs> I didn't pay for it out of my pocket. Let's put it that way. It's comparative. These guys earn a lot of money. Of course they do. Even yeah. when they they finish their, their footballing career. Hmm. They use the celebrity status to drive uh, the fandom now. So they're still expensive. But if you compare how much it would cost... To actually sponsor a football team, you know, you look at the the amount of money that's going into sponsorships now. You look at the amount of money that's been spent on commercials and everything else. It's comparatively low cost. It oh. was it was quite localized as well. It was Malaysia, Singapore, and and Hong Kong. Okay, okay. So, all right. Um, the difference between say sponsoring a, a team, having your your names plastered on, on on their shirts week in week out, is that's more permanent. Whereas The promotion, say, say the one you did with the brewery and and all that, that's done and gone. That's finished. Yeah. The the problem you have is 
how much to the to, how much did it contribute towards your bottom line? If you if you are the name on a shirt uh-huh. and you spent, uh, let's take Man United as an example, and their current sponsor, that was an eight-year deal done for over seven hundred and fifty million US dollars. That's a lot of money. Well, which oh, which the Glazers uh, all took. Correct. Of course with they did. them, and didn't pay any of the debt either. <laughs> no. <laughs> they but that's another debt, story. <laughs> we can go down that road as well if you want. So you you look at that kind of spend. And even just sponsoring a small club, mm. a Fulham or whoever, it's a multi, multi million dollar deal now. Even Newcastle have just done a recent deal with Puma and a few others. And it's again, it's in the tens of millions. However, it's very difficult to calculate how much does that contribute to your bottom line as a brand. Yes, it generates brand awareness, but does it? Is it a transactional awareness? Do people say, "Oh, look, there's a brand on a shirt. I'm going to buy their product." Yeah. Whereas something which we did locally at relatively low cost, we built as a sports marketing company. We built in uh, very clear mechanics that made people, made fans go out and buy the product to then actually win the chance to go and meet, meet their fans. So it's very, very measurable. There was a tangible financial ROI. Mm, 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 mm. So, so okay, that should that happen more? Do you reckon? A lot more. A lot more, but the problem is, you have a lot of the, the, the sports marketing industry here yeah. is embryonic. It, it's very early days, and I, I like to use the analogy that people go, "Okay, I've bought into this sports marketing asset, whether it's I'm a regional part of Manchester City or Man United, yeah, yeah. I'm on the shirt or I'm on the airboards," and then what they do is they give that to an ordinary agency. And an agency doesn't quite understand this emotional connection with sports fans, that, and, and that is where it all, it all yeah. so goes. As, as, my favourite analogy is: I've just had an operation on my eyes. I've just had a, 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 an operation on having my lenses replaced. Now I went to see an ophthalmologist. Uh-huh. I didn't go to see a gynaecologist. Okay. Because it's a specialised area. Yeah. Whereas if you're going to spend a lot of money on being on acquiring this asset. Why would you just go to a general practitioner rather than somebody who specialises in it? But how do you find these specialised sports marketers? By listening to programmes like this. Hey! Um, okay, let, let's segue a little bit and, and, and talk about your beloved Newcastle. I, I, I want to bring you back to what you said before, um, the, the fact that you tried to buy Newcastle. Well, I, wanted, or, I tried to raise the money to buy you, you, it. But... Yeah, you t- together with, with, with a group of serious people. Um, yeah, very. What, what, what kind of money are you talking about to buy a football club like Newcastle? To buy a football club like Newcastle. The valuation would probably be around about... About 275 to 300 million, depending on the on the size of debt. Uh, Mike Ashley has said that he won't sell unless it's a, at least 400 million. Uh, Is that a fair price? No, and he knows it's not. How much would say Liverpool or Manchester United be worth? Oh hell! Uh, again, they're, they're they're not really. If you take Manchester yeah. United, they're not really a football club. They're a company. They're, Absolutely. They're a company. So you're talking billions. You're talking billions. You have a so okay. If you're using that yardstick, say say okay for argument's sake, say say a billion for for Manchester United. Yeah. Okay, or a billion and a half. Um, Plus tag on the seven hundred million in debt that they're already. Yeah. In. But um, okay, uh, if if you if you compare that to say what Mike Ashley wants four hundred million for Newcastle, that yep. would that would, wouldn't that be doable? Is that not? It's, if, it is a, in, in, in a way, but you'd have to be uh, somebody who has some kind of, again, emotional attachment to the club. A hard, hard-ass businessman would look at it and say, sorry, it's not worth that kind of money. 
businessmen buy a certain amount of into goodwill. Mm-hmm. And yes, we've got lots of fans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're still 19th largest club in terms of uh, finances in the world. So, you know, for a club that's never had any investment in it, to still be running in 19th place in amongst some of the big clubs in Europe uh, is, is a testament to the goodwill of the club. Absolutely. But, um, okay, uh, hasn't Mike Ashley been absolutely really, really clever here? He, he's bought a club. He's associated Sports Direct to basically to Newcastle United. Correct. Um, isn't the brand thriving? Isn't he making money out of that? Sports Direct is, but brand Newcastle United isn't. Uh, he's done a really good job. Uh, for, for himself. For, for himself, I don't deny it. But I'm a football fan and I want to see my club prosper. And he has the money and the wherewithal, wherewithal so what, to make what, it prosper. How does that differ between a company wanting to do some sports marketing and... Mike Ashley. I don't disagree with that in the slightest. He's, uh, he's been a very clever guy. And he's playing the right cards. But as the person who's on the other end of the stick... How much did Mike Ashley buy Newcastle for? About 190, about 190, 190 million. Plus he took on a debt of about another 90. And he's, he's ploughed money in since? No. No? No. It's one of the only you can clubs. Tell it's, one, it's one of the only clubs in the, in the UK that actually makes a decent profit. Second most prof- profitable club alongside Arsenal. Amazing stuff. I've oh, done really well. All right, I tell you what, we're, we're going to break off here for a little while. This is Grandstand. We are talking about sports marketing. Glenn Stidolf is here, and he will be here right after this short break. More Grandstand coming right up on BFM eighty nine point nine. Best Flipping Moments, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Grandstand on BFM 89.9. And we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. It's Ross here, a familiar voice on a Friday evening. I am joined by Glenn Stidolf, who is the head of... Revo Asia. Oh, you're getting very. You're, you're getting closer each time, Ross. Revo Sport Asia. Revo Sport. Why? What? You oh, Revo Sport Asia. It's I, quite I, easy to. to, to yeah, remember. but then it's the little things that get me, Glenn. I'm going to wear a badge next time. <laughs> now, sports marketing. I understand you did some work uh, regarding the World Cup in Indonesia. Now, I mean, as far as football goes, as far as sporting events go, that is the biggest one. And surely every client wants to be associated to, to the correct. World Cup. Uh, if, you're, if you want to use another analogy, it is the Mount Everest of sports marketing. It really is. So what did you do? Well, we, we acquired. I love the way people, the, the, the official terminology is you are granted the rights to, to have the broadcasting rights, commercial rights for the World Cup for a particular territory. Okay. The word granted almost makes it feel like it's free. It's not free. Uh, I can't tell you exactly how much the rights for Indonesia are, but it's in the tens of millions of US dollars. Okay. It's the second biggest market for FIFA in the world. Wow. Okay, so you, you got the rights for for uh, the 2018 yep. World Cup. We borrowed a large amount of money. Uh-huh. And then, so we created this big hole where the money's supposed to go. Right. And then you go about, you ha- only have, you only awarded the project in around about September the previous year. So you only really have six to seven months to fill in an enormous but in, hole. But in the meantime, you are already bidding for this thing, which you're not sure you can pay off. 
Correct. You bid. For, it is. It is a bidding process, and as I say, you only find out round about September time of the previous year that you actually have you've won the bid. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's. It's a very much a doggy dog business. It's a number of people bid for it. The big difference between ourselves last year and whoever else was bidding for it was we actually bid for all of the rights the rights for the world cup for a territory mm-hmm. are split into certain segments mm-hmm. one is broadcasting one is so you you astro and all these guys okay okay or uh, over there there's lots of broadcasters over there there's another segment called commercial and branding which you'll see the likes of visa and mastercard and all you'll do run all these competitions for the world okay. cup okay have the brand association to the world cup then you have obviously have merchandise, All right? And then you have what's known as public viewing and public exhibition. Okay. So when you go into a bar and the World Cup is on is on the screen, you associate that bar it to your had, that bar had to pay for that license. Okay. They have to pay for that. It's so you you, you you had the lot basically. So we took the only way we thought we could make it pay is if we could do a completely integrated campaigns using every single portion of the rights. But that is a mass. So you're looking for a client now, with. Limitless funds. Yeah, you are. <laughs> do, it's, do, it's, how many of them exist in the world? Not that many. <laughs> not that many. I mean, it, it's on paper. It looks like a reasonably easy task, and that everybody wants to be in it. You have to understand the dynamics of the World Cup in mm. Indonesia. Mm. The Indonesian World Cup, uh, and the World Cup for some reason is synonymous. Second biggest market for FIFA in the world. Right. Obviously, in eyeballs, its first is China. Right. Even though it's a relatively small percentage, right. it's still a lot of eyeballs. Whereas the Indonesian population, I can tell you exactly how many people watched the World Cup this uh, last year. Go on. And it ran out to be 74% of the Indonesian population, which turns out to be about 196 million people. That's quite a few eyeballs. Then. It's insane. When you consider that the finalists in there, the population or percentage of population was running at about 64 to 65%, and they were in the final. So 65% of the population stopped whatever they were doing to watch the World Cup. Where seventy four percent of the Indonesian population, mm. even though they're nowhere near the world, do, do, do you reckon that's that's comparable to to Malaysia, Thailand, Singapore statistics as well? Malaysia's running round about sixty percent, so it's it is quite it's pretty high, high right? Yeah. Asian fans uh, for the World Cup are quite a lot, actually more than a lot of developed countries. Mm. So somewhere like the UK, who've got lots of other sports to watch and there's a lot of choice uh, of of sports on the TV, you're looking at somewhere around about 48% of the population will watch. Well, I mean, Malaysia, uh, people who who love foreign football ignore local football, which which is, yeah, the other downside of it. Well, The figures actually don't back that up, to be honest. If you look at the broadcasting figures in, mm, Mal- in mm, Malaysia mm. for the Malaysian uh, Super League yeah. as against the Premier League, yeah. there's more people actually watch the local football than they do. Yeah, the, uh, for, 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 the, for the big live yeah. games. I, I, yeah, I, I actually agree. Um, that's because they keep showing uh, Man City on TV. But that's a, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, back to your, your World Cup in Indonesia story. So, so how many clients were you looking at to, to, to cover your costs of, of acquiring the, the, the rights to as the As many 20? as possible. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean yeah. like ballpark figure. What are yeah. you looking at? We, Two, we, 10, we, 20? Yeah. We were looking, we would hope to have at least 30 clients. And that's spread across... Free to wear TV, which is the main one. And how long have you got to get these clients? Six months, seven months max. It's a it's a tall order. We went from two staff to fifty staff in a month. 
So you were flying back and forth, KL to Jakarta? I, I didn't fly back very much. I stayed throughout the duration of when we had the license for the World Cup. I think I only spent about 13 days in Malaysia. It's not a lot. So I, I saw you post loads of pictures on social media about viewing parties and all, and, and, and they look great. I mean, oh, they, they look absolutely packed. One, if I look back on the World Cup, there's a number of things which I can sit back and pat myself on the back. Whether this, whether it was a commercial success for us as investors or not, is irrespective of the, the delivery of the World Cup to Indonesia. And we delivered the World Cup to more Indonesians than ever before, mm. including for the first ever time, radio. I like radio. Mm. And you look at Indonesia, 260 million people, mm. 10 million of those people are blind. 8 million of those, 10 million, wow. don't have to be blind. It's all down to cataracts. So as part of a CSR program, we give the radio rights, which was valued at about 6 million US dollars. We give the radio rights to the national radio system in uh, Indonesia, uh -huh. RRI, Radio Republic Indonesia. We give those for free on one condition. It had to be live. It had to be in Bahasa, Indonesia. And each individual radio station that it touched, they had to have viewing parties. So we were managed to put in viewing parties for free for a month all around Indonesia, Maluku, you name it, some of the weirdest parts, Papua, etc. We were doing viewing parties everywhere. However, we wanted an education program. Mm. There's a lot of charities in Indonesia who go around doing cataract operations. And out of those 10 million blind people, 8 million of the 8 million who are blind is down to cataracts. So you, you're actually saying sports marketing can, can do a heck of a lot of good. A if lot, used a in the right yeah. way. If you use it in the right way. It's, it's a very powerful medium. I mean, our radio reach was about 40 million people. So, looking back at it, um, I Would know... Would I do it again? No. What? <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, how, how much have you aged? Because there's uh, a lot of white hair on your head now. <laughs> I, I, I used to look, look like somebody of Baywatch a year ago. It's just... <laughs> I added 10 kilos and, 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 and lost all my hair and went grey in the process. No, it was it was hard. It was the most difficult thing. And when it's the Everest of sports marketing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you expect it to be difficult. Exactly. Do I want to climb Everest again? Not a chance. No, you've done it now. Done it, done it now. Yeah. Don't want to touch it again. It's, okay, so... It's too hard. So, all right, you, you, you've done the Everest. What what else is there? What, what would you like to do sports marketing-wise? If, if they say, go on, Glenn, your pick... Take an event, take anything. What would you like to, to put on? You know, that's the easiest question you've asked so far. Of course, it's Newcastle United. In, in, <laughs> in, in the Premier, in the Champions yeah. League. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would love to take hold of something like Newcastle because it's prime. It's ready to actually become a really big club that it deserves to be. However, it's been held back by the current owner who's using it purely to further his, his empire of sports direct. I would love to be able to do something with it. I, I compare Newcastle very much to Liverpool. Uh -huh. The fan base is very similar yeah. in terms of size yeah. and, and demographic. Yeah. They're an entertaining team, or used to be an entertaining, entertaining team to watch. And about seven years ago, when Liverpool were bought out, uh, they, changed the they changed the whole club, Root and Branch. And it's uh, the Fenway Sports Group yeah. from America. Yeah. And they brought a couple of American guys in who are just sports marketing crazy. And... The result is they are now hot on the tails of Man United in terms of revenue. I, I think that, yeah, else. well, as far as performance goes, uh, they've surpassed yeah. Man United. Correct. They're the only ones keeping up with Man City. Yeah. And um, so you've got to say the Fenway Sports Group have done good, right? They've done a really good job of it. Yeah. I mean, I know the internal side of it. Okay, um, wait, wait let, let's, let's pause there. 
we'll, we'll, we'll come back. We'll, we'll talk more about Fenway and Glenn's first love, Newcastle United. <laughs> That's all coming up for you right after this short break. A view of sports from every angle. This is Grandstand. Building Fit Malaysians, BFM 89.9. Sit back, talk sports, and play ball. This is Grandstand. And we are back. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for still being with us. Uh, Ross here, along with Glenn Stidoff. This is our, our first show of the brand new season. It is about sports marketing and. Glenn, we, we hit the point where you're going to tell me about the future of sports marketing. And I, I had this vision of individual players. You, you get Wayne Rooney on your phone wearing the Man United kit. Yeah. I mean, I assume he's still there. I'm, I'm not a good example, but you know what I mean? Saying, happy birthday from, yep. from Man United and Wayne Rooney. You are actually going right down the right... You're, you're serious? Right path. Yeah, serious. You're going down the right path. Uh, the... Conundrum facing football. I, I, I know we've talked a lot about football. Sports marketing is everything from underwater basket weaving to mountain climbing yeah. and freestyle. But football is Football's the, big the biggest business. driver yeah. by far. Yeah. I mean, it's if you look at the revenues driven around the world in terms of uh, spend on, on on sports, football's way out there. I mean, really, ten times more than any other sport. So it's the biggest driver. And it is going down that one-on-one route. I mean, as a sports fan, and I'm, we're both sports fans, mm-hmm. so you'll understand that what we want is, as a sports fan, it's all about being part of a community. You, know, you, you, you walk down the street, and I see a black and white zebra coming down. And if it is a zebra, I'll still try and make friends of it, because it's either <laughs> Juventus or Newcastle. You try and, you try and stamp NUFC on yeah. the zebra, wouldn't me, you? Me and zebras get on really well, because they're part of our community. <laughs> and it's the same as you, as a Man U fan. If you see somebody wearing a Man U shirt, anything like that, I mean, they, they, but in your case, they're probably not a fan. No, no. <laughs> no, but, okay, you, you're talking about... Conglomerates trying to connect with individuals. Correct, here. and that's that's the hard part. They they believe that because they're spending so much money with uh, on the football club on the content that the fans should pay for everything. Yeah, there's this word going around that we call commercialization of fans, and as a football fan myself, I think we already pay enough. I don't think the clubs do anywhere near enough. So fans want they want the community. They also want recognition from the club. And just saying happy birthday, uh, you know, you, you'll see it in two weeks' time. You'll see on the Facebook pages of Man United, Salamat Harry Raya, Man yeah. United fans. Yeah. To me, they, they think they're communicating with the fans. That's bullshit. That's rubbish. Yeah. I mean, they're not. It's just disingenuous for the fans. And hopefully the fans are smart enough to think, no, hang on. They're just, you know, they're taking the mick here. And I think the time now, because of the cost of digital products now mm-hmm. and technology, you can go one-on-one. You can create digital ecosystems. However, the clubs are too damn lazy to do it. I mean, if you look at the the, the fan clubs, mm-hmm. if you look at the uh, the websites of Man United, the website of Liverpool, yeah. yes, they're very glossy and very nice, yeah. but it's all to encourage you to do two things. One is either buy the shirt, mm-hmm. or buy a, uh, what do you call it? Buy a, tic- a match ticket or a Merchandising, corporate, corporate yeah, yeah, hospitality, yeah, merchandising. Yeah. Uh, buy, 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 basically. It is just buy. It's a very, it's a very push-driven uh, marketing. There's no real pull from the fans, and that's actually where it's going to go down. How do you make that more attractive to to Joe Public? 
Well, what's going to happen shortly is if you let's take the American model, and we all know how smart the Americans are with mm-hmm. technology mm-hmm. and everything, and, and they've got plenty of money, and you know, unless you listen to what do you call it, our friend Donald Trump, they've got no money, <laughs> uh, and they want more from the Chinese. But what we're looking at is there's a there's a, a company called Vox Media, okay, and and, and people should look at Vox Media because they're very smart. It's all about fans, and you have they've got one arm of it called SB Nation. SB Nation went to see all of the sports rights owners, the NFL and the NFL club, and said, mm-hmm. look, you've got millions of fans. Mm-hmm. Let's work together and engage with those fans and in turn give them more value by having some kind of connection directly with the club mm-hmm. through your own ecosystem rather than an external ecosystem like Facebook, Instagram, etc. And they went, nah, no thanks. We're quite happy with what we do. Fans can buy We have seats. a Facebook page. Yeah, we have a Facebook Instagram. page. And we can send them happy birthday when it's, you know, or happy Harry Raya. So they said, okay, let's sod this. We'll go away and do it ourselves. All right. So they went off and the uh, SB Nation, they've now got 320 fan-based forums and websites in America. Who aggregates these? Who runs these? This is a company called Vox Media. And really, it's run by the fans for the fans. And... That's what fans want to do. They want to be part of this community. So do do clubs associate themselves with with? with They're these? trying to now because they see this ecosystem. But let's just say one site for the LA Raiders. It doesn't belong to the LA Raiders. It belongs to SB Nation. And it might have 7 million fans mm. engaging in, uh, on a forum. They've got a points-based system but okay, okay. it. If LA Raiders then decided oh, we want some of this, we'll start our own proper LA Raiders forum. Wouldn't all the fans from Vox jump ship? And, and um, I can only talk as a fan. And if somebody's providing me a platform, providing me with all the added value that I really want as a fan, to hell with the club. You know, it is. It's to hell with them. They had their opportunity. They had every opportunity, but yet they just wanted to push. It's, it's a question of do we like to be talked at or do we like to talk with somebody? Okay. And the club just talk at you at the moment. Right. Uh, what you're describing here, I, I would agree to a certain point. Uh, I'd say probably in the Western world, this will work. Well, the thing is... In Asia, it's a bit different, no, right? No, this is where it'll work because what you have to imagine, privacy laws in America and in, in, in Europe uh, are very strong. So if, as an example, I decided to send somebody their detail so a brand approaches me and says right I'm, I'm with the SB Nation and we're supporting LA Raiders and you can have a match day pass and you can have two match day passes if you pass it to 10 people if I try to do that in America I'll get shot Literally, because you know, you just don't gun know. laws right there. Yeah. Uh, whereas Asians are quite free with their information. You know, we send likes and shares and all this. Kind. So it's quite an open society still in in Facebook and on social media. It's still quite open. So, and and I think the fans over here are a little bit more savvy. They're a little bit more. Well, I don't want to pay for this. I'm a fan. I shouldn't have to pay for this. And plus, I can get it illegally somewhere else. Uh, so. Asian fans do not pay for anything. So that commercial model which works in America will not work here. Mm -hmm. It won't. You have to come here and say, right, it's going to be all value to the fans first before you get any kind of value back from the fans. Whereas in other countries where it's a little bit more, uh, let's just say they have a bit more expendable income, then they'll pay for it. They'll pay for premium content. Here they won't do it. They'll try and do it illegally or they'll set something up themselves. So, okay, the recent World Football Summit, which was held in, in, in KL here, um, it, it 
showcased uh, a lot of European giants here. And the impression I got was they were here trying to think, how can we get money from these Asian people, punters? You're, you're quite right. Uh, there is this attitude of the whole of the global economy is now coming east. And, and, and football is hot on the heels of that. So the main commercial centres of the next, by 2025, will be Asian commercial centres. You know, it's moving away from west to east. Football is exactly the well, same. Well, actually, yeah. I mean, a, a, a lot of the English clubs have offices yep. They've in got Asia, offices right? In Shanghai, yeah. Beijing, yeah. Singapore, Hong Kong. None of them at the moment, apart from, let's talk a, d- a different sport, BWF, the, the, the Badminton World yeah. Federation. Yeah. They have a headquarters here, so yeah. well, done, well done them for supporting the Malaysian economy. And they've done very, very well. Yeah. Just lots of new products, which yeah. are pretty cool. And again, that's, all the products are fan-based, fan-facing, unlike football, which is talk at the fans. So I was at, the, at that forum too. Well, it, 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 you had all of the major players in the world game there. You had the FIFAs, the UEFAs, etc. And so all of the stakeholders in football were looking at, hang on, how can we monetize all these Asian fans? There's millions of mm, them. Mm. How can we monetize them? The problem was for me, and I, I was very vocal about it over the two days, how can you talk about commercialising the fans when there's actually no fans present? There was no representation by the fans at that forum. It was just all of the money people in sport saying, how do we screw some money out of these Asian fans? And Asian fans are a little bit more savvy than yeah, that. Yeah. There should have been representation. And I actually asked two or three of the executives, when's the last time you stood on a terrace and got wet with the rest of the fans? Instead of being in your nice little box with your TV and your bottle of champagne. Prawn sandwiches. And prawn sandwiches. <laughs> prawn <yeah>. sandwiches. <laughs> so the future is is literally to give the fan that one-on-one feeling. It and, is. And, um, and the sooner a, a, a massive, a, a giant can do this... Just phone me up now. I'll build it for you. No problem. I mean, the future of Asian football and and, and the way it's going to go is through sponsorship. It's not... uh, We're 10 years away from the fans driving the game here, at least. So the money in sport and the money in football here, it will come from brands. And brands will want that one-on-one connection with the fans. Just putting a logo. uh, There's a football team called Persib Bandung in Indonesia. Mm one of the biggest supporters clubs in the world and I mean the world not just Indonesia and on their football shirt there are 14 brands wow. 14 wow and these brands pay for money because they want visibility and they want people to see it. how do you see it on a patchwork quilt of 14 different brands that's that, taking it to the extreme isn't it taking it to the extreme but the clubs here and the right holders here don't really know anything other than traditional marketing they're not particularly digital savvy Whereas they should be having, I mean, there's, some of them are quite savvy and they're now starting to talk to the fans. But again, it's Facebook, Instagram. There was one post went out from Percy Bandung and within half an hour on Instagram, it had somewhere around about half a million likes. Wow. And they will have at least six million interactions between the club on Instagram, on external ecosystems. Six million interactions per per month. It's crazy. So numbers. you're saying some of these Western clubs can actually learn from the Percy Bandung, etc. Yeah, they can. They can because at least Percy Bandung knows their fan aren't going to pay for all this kind of stuff. They know they're not going to pay for streams. They're not going to pay for premium things. So basically what has to happen, they have to look. It's a bit like being a matchmaker. You look at what the demographic of the fan is. What do they do in their normal life and everything else and their habits? Then you look at marrying that to brands who want to reach out. So whether it's, sorry, cigarettes, 
alcohol, not so much in, in, mm-hmm. uh, in Bando, mm-hmm. or insurance companies, yeah. car companies. Yeah, telcos, and all if you those. have all of your fans on your own ecosystem, rather than say, well, you have to pay to be my sponsor, then you have to pay again to reach out to the fans on Instagram and Facebook through the algorithms, etc. Brands won't do it. No. But if you have those fans on your own ecosystem, you imagine you have 6 million to 12 million fans on your own ecosystem who are communicating with you day in, day out. You bring in a, uh, you bring in a sponsor. That sponsorship money is helping the fans see better players on the pitch. So that gives you that emotional affinity between the brand. That's the way forward. Technology is not the problem. No, it's mindset. It really technology is ten a penny, and it's it's changing the mindsets of of yeah, yeah. Of, of rights holders, people who buy it, clients, and all yeah. that. And that's your that's it. That's the job you really really have. Well, that's that's the job I have. My job is a lot more on education and uh, trying to educate clubs and and rights holders. Do you find yourself wanting to bang your head against the wall a lot? That's why I've got strange shaped head rolls. <laughs> Okay, you you said football was the the big business. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, what, what would you say is the next big thing? I would say, and again, it's it, it's been driven by 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 the fans, and also a little bit by the federations. Badminton's number two by far, uh, especially in Malaysia. Yeah. Malaysia, yeah. Indonesia, thirty yeah. odd percent. But of the it could be more commercialized, couldn't it? No, I think they're doing a very good job at the moment. Really? Uh, if you look at the BWF in the last three or four years as a federation, global federation, they now have offices in 190 countries. Uh, they're reaching out to the fans. They're getting the fans and everybody engaged in this. They've just brought out a new product, which I think is very innovative, which is a bit like when football went to beach soccer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've now come up with air badminton. They've changed the shuttlecock. I'm scared to say that word on radio. <laughs> uh, but they've, they've changed the shuttle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's now you can play it uh, outdoors. Ah. Because obviously badminton is mainly an indoor sport. Now it's... You play it on the beach. You can play it on, on the local padang, and all. so they've they've actually innovated, and that innovation is driven by their main sponsors as well. Because HSBC is a global sponsor, they want to reach out to young people hmm. because the young people of today are the are the bankers and investors of tomorrow. So it's a true partnership. It's not just here's my sponsorship dollars yeah, 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 and I yeah, want yeah. to have my logo on your shirt. There's actually a lot of thought. You look at. AIA insurance with Spurs. Yeah. Synonymous now. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, those are good good examples of partnerships, marriages that, that actually really, really work. Um, all right. I, I heard that you, you were going to put podcasts together because your, your love of sport, is that, is that going on still? It is. It's, it's very much going on. It's going to be a little bit like this. Oh, uh, really? We're... Competition, I no, say. No, we're, we're very inclusive. We're, we're not exclusive. We're very. Inclu- I'm from Newcastle. I can't be exclusive. I'm very. Inclu- I'm an inclusive kind of person, and it's all about just bringing talk to fans. Love to hear dirty stories and, and, you, uh, what, and what goes on behind closed doors. You're talking sport. football here. Football, anything really, just really silly stuff. And we're going out. We're, we're going to reach out. To Indonesia, Singapore. There's a lot more silly stories coming out of Indonesia than there is in, in Malaysia. Uh, it's going to be any, any, anything and everything. I mean, just by the name itself, we're talking balls. <laughs> I like it. it I like gi- it. It gives you an idea uh, of of the sort of style of show it's going to be. And I hear you've got uh, an ex-player on board. Yeah, oh, he'd kill you if you if you said that. An ex-player. <laughs> he's, he's, he's only thirty and still he's, earning money. He's, oh, I'm sorry, Daddy. <laughs> 
Yes, Danny Guthrie will be my co-partner on the show. He's still playing, is he? Well, he's just finished. The, the, the great thing about Danny is he's just done a year in Indonesia. Uh-huh. Uh, so he I, knows the local scene. He knows the local scene very well. He's just had... He, he, I can't know. You, you were telling me lots of stories about Indonesian football. I think that one we can't really put on radio no, for I, now. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, one of the main reasons why Danny left Indonesia was because of the attitude in, in football in general in Asia. This is not just yeah. Malaysia, Indonesia, etc. And that wasn't around about uh, anything dirty going on. It was just about the lax attitude to training and things like that. Okay, and professionalism. He's, a, he's, he's an ex-EPL ex yeah. pro, so he was finding that very difficult. And because... He was in an environment where they didn't really want to train that hard. Uh, there was a bit of friction. So, okay, because of the situation like that, what, like what Danny, Danny's just described there, don't you think maybe sports marketing is 10 steps too far forward for a lot of these organisations? Uh, well, I've got to make a living somehow. And, and, and <laughs> so you're going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I've, I've got to make a living somehow. And so and there's a lot of education to be done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... Really, it's it's a lot of these clubs, even the Liverpools and and the Man United, they don't do it right. They really don't. They okay. don't get it right. They have their own ideas how to do it, and that is because they are talking at people. Uh, we are as fans. You know, I'm a fan first. Okay. So from a fan's perspective, I know what I would do as a fan, uh, what I would buy, what I wouldn't buy, how I would engage with the club, how mm -hmm. I wouldn't engage with the club. So there's a lot of education, not just from the local clubs here, and they're going through a hard time. They've got to privatise. No longer do Malaysian football have to rely on the teat of the of uh, the state finances and, yeah. and, and income tax. Yeah. They have to live on their own. They're yeah. going to go through a really rough time. And uh, you and can help them all. And I can help them all. My number is... <laughs> so, uh, anybody listening, you need help on sports marketing, Glenn Stidoff is your man. If you can't find him, look for me. I'll, I'll, I get my 10% off him. <laughs> <laughs> no Glenn, problem. Thank you so much for joining us. You, you, you enjoyed yourself? Yeah, I love it. I mean, mm. it's, it's great to sit. And that's what it's all about. Sit and talk about football. Sit and talk about sport. Yeah. It's all about passion. It's all about heart. Brilliant stuff. Before before I let you go, if, if I gave you Newcastle, if I gave you 400 million, gave you Newcastle United. I'd spend it on beer and sweets. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you, Glenn Siddow, for coming in. Best of luck in everything that you do. Nice uh, one, my friend. Yeah, yeah, get us on your podcast. Yeah, yeah well, definitely. Oh, inclusive, always inclusive. Always inclusive. Uh, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, do tune in next Friday for more Grandstand. Bye now. Tune in next week for more Grandstand on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.